The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. May God bless the reading of his word. So we've been uh, studying the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians for a month or so now. And um, we're going to continue into chapter 5 today. And I just want to do a quick review uh, so that we can catch up. Because like I said, I'm seeing some faces that I haven't seen around uh, in the last few weeks. And, um, And so, okay, Thessalonians. Uh, Thessalonica is a city in Greece um, that was an important trade crossroads for east to west and north to south, uh, Greek up into Europe and from Rome over into Asia. Um, It was a a hub is the best way to describe it. And um, Paul visited there early on in his ministry and ended up starting a church. And this book uh, is a letter to that church after Paul was chased out of the city. Um, so Paul, um, many p- believe, wrote the book of, uh, or the letter to the church in Thessalonica uh, first. So for those of you that are historians that like to know chronological kinds of things, many scholars believe that 1 Thessalonians was the first letter written to any of the churches in, um, in what we call our New Testament. So there's a lot of things here that happen throughout this whole book that are repeated in Paul's other letters. Oftentimes they are um, expounded upon and um, explained a lot more. Um, But here in in, uh, Thessalonica and the book of 1 Thessalonians, he covers some pretty important things. And um, I'm going to take a few minutes just to kind of review what those are, uh, what we've covered so far. Um, The theme of this book is about maintaining an internal perspective throughout our lives. That we as Christians, we as believers, as we walk this earth, if we don't do that, if we allow ourselves to get caught up in the ways of this world, it's not going to happen the way God intended for it to. And I think for most of us sitting here this morning, we can attest to that. Because we see it around us each and every day. We see brokenness, we see pain, we see war, we see famine, we see hate. All of those things exist because we are operating without an eternal perspective. Outside of God's plan for this world and for us as humans in particular. So Paul 
is charging the early church and continues to do that through all of his letters, we've got to be different. We've got to be different. Because that's the only way all of this mess is going to change. So early in the letter, he, he lays a foundation that we're not here by accident. Our God, the God of this universe, the creator of all things, doesn't make mistakes. And for some of you this morning, that truth is all you need to remember. God doesn't make mistakes, and that includes you. That includes me. That includes each and every one of us. We're not here by accident, and God has a plan that we should be living out. He goes on to say that people would rather see a sermon than hear a sermon. Pastor Ellis talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a specific work that we need to be doing, actively participating in, so that those around us will see God in human form. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. He was a human representation of the almighty God. And that's what we as Christians, little Christs, are supposed to be. God in human form so that those around us can experience him. We are to stay focused on God, eagerly looking towards God's future and not our future. And we need to be praying for God's spirit to be working in our present circumstances, in our city, in our neighbors, in ourselves. We're not finished yet. God isn't done with us. And more and more of the image of Christ can come out of us when we maintain that eternal perspective in our daily lives. So last week... Uh, Pastor Ellis talked about um, three specific idols that we deal with in this world. And if you haven't heard the sermon, if you haven't heard any of the sermons from this series, I encourage you to go back on our podcast to listen to them. Um, They're very good. But this one in particular, uh, it's really short. It's like 20 minutes long, um, a really easy listen. But he talks about these three uh, idols that the church um, in Thessalonica at this time was facing and that we still face today. And those idols were Aphrodite, or Aphrodite, however you pronounce it. Um, and Aphrodite represents, um, we'll call it attraction or lust, right? Um, and that is an idol that for many of us and for our culture and for our world, we're lost in it. It consumes us. We chase it. The second was the idol of mammon, which represents money or greed, or you might also include comfort. And the third was Mars, which is the idol of war or power or control. And I think for all of us, if we take a minute and really think about those three things, they're all around us. They're ever-present, and they're constantly tempting us to spend all of our energy and our efforts to chase them down. We pursue attraction. We crave comfort. We abuse power. 
and we want control. These idols manipulate us, they control us, they deceive us, they lie to us, they trick us. And they're all consuming. They're never satisfied. And for those of you that have gone down the road of chasing any or all of them, you know. You accomplish one thing and you just want something else. And you want more and you want more and you want more and you want more because they're not real. They're false. They're idols. And they are trying to fill a hole in our soul that can only be filled by the Almighty God. And it can only be filled by living this eternally perspective life that he has designed for us. This week, we're going to talk on another thing that is, I believe, found in all of those idols. But unlike running to it, we run away from it. And that's fear. Fear is present in all kinds of things in this world, and it takes all types of forms. But we all face it. We face it and we run away from it. It haunts us. It sneaks up on us. It sticks to us. It tortures us. We fear all kinds of things, from pain to loneliness to a lack of control. We fear the unknown. We fear missing out. We even have an acronym for it, right? We fear failure. I could probably spend 20 minutes listing the things we fear. But we fear. I don't believe God intended for us to live like that. And I think it grieves him. Because he's constantly like a loving father on his knees, on our level, saying, son, daughter, I'm here. I've got you. You don't have to be afraid. I'm bigger than all of this. You don't have to be afraid. We'll get through it. And he loves us so much that he constantly steps in the way to protect us. He came to this earth to bear our burdens. So fear doesn't have to consume us anymore. And Paul in this passage is using a couple of analogies to help us understand that as children of God, we can be different. Because the early church was facing all of these things just like we do. People were dying all around them and they didn't know what that meant. They were being persecuted. What they were doing was new and no one understood it and they were ridiculed. They didn't understand it. They're trying to figure it out day by day, but there was something special happening and Paul is encouraging them, 
keep pressing on because God has a plan. Paul wanted his friends and family in Thessalonica to understand Jesus has got us. Not only us, but the people that have come before us that are already gone. There was a lot of confusion about what happens when you die at this point. Because religiously, there were a lot of opinions about the afterlife. There still are. This passage is following up a section in chapter 4 where he talks about that specifically, and he's continuing that analogy in a way while also talking about what we're still to be doing here while we remain. And he wants the people to know that Jesus has those who are already gone. And then he starts to talk about the reality that we don't know when our time is going to be. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And he attaches it to this phrase. Um, it's, it's a piece of Roman propaganda, and it is peace and security. For those of you that are history buffs, you know that Rome, um, they were masters of propaganda, much like the Nazis. When they came in and they conquered a land, they convinced everyone they were better because Rome was here. And they had this idea, Pax Romana, Roman peace, and this phrase, peace and security, that they were constantly communicating through their leaders, through culture, peace and security. You are now part of Rome. You are safe. You are comfortable. We will protect you. Because so many of these countries, so many of these people, for thousands of years in many cases, had known nothing but war and unrest. It was one leader or country after another, invading and taking over and killing and slaughtering and back and forth and back and forth. In Rome, what they were trying to do is change all that. Ultimately, they wanted to take over the whole world. But they did that by convincing people, we are greater than any of your outside threats. So if you trust us, look at this peace. Look at this perfect world we live in. You can be secure for the first time in your life. And Paul is taking that phrase and he's connecting it to the reality that this world is constantly lying to us. And as believers, if we aren't prepared, we're going to believe it. And as we all know, Rome fell. The peace and security that they promised didn't last. This world will promise us all kinds of things. Safety, comfort, pleasure, happiness, but it's all a lie. And we as believers can't live in the darkness that is the lies of this world. We are children of the light. We have been awakened. We're no longer asleep in the slumber or drunkenness of the deceit of this world. And that's what Paul is getting at here in this passage. He connects the lies of this world 
to darkness, to the night, when you go to sleep, or maybe when you party so hard and you get so drunk that you're gone. That is what this world provides us, a false security. And we all know that just because it's night doesn't mean the bad things stop, right? For many of us, that's why we can't sleep at night. Because our anxieties and our fears haunt us even in our dreams. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness. This day, the coming of the Lord, the awakening that God has provided us shouldn't surprise us. We should be prepared. And we should live a life of preparedness. Is that a word? Okay. I, I have to check with my wife. I'm, English was not my, my subject. But oftentimes we don't. We live a life of worldly comfort. We buy into the peace and security that Rome promises. Instead of getting to know our neighbors, we hide. Instead of taking risks with ourselves, we isolate. Instead of being generous, we hoard and we build silos for what ifs. Paul is charging the early Christians in Thessalonica and us still today, we've got to be different. We can't buy into this peace and security. Partially because we, we have the real deal. We don't need to believe this fake stuff. The almighty God, the creator of all things, has says, I've got you. What are you going to do with that? That's what Paul's asking us here. If God's got you, if the creator of this universe has got your back, are you going to be the kid on the schoolyard that runs from the bully? Are you going to stand up because you know someone bigger is standing right behind you? I was always a runt growing up. Uh, I didn't really grow to be normal size until about my junior year in high school. Um, but I was like the little dogs, you know, that, that, uh, that they bark a lot. I don't know why it is that little dogs bark so much more than big dogs, um, but they do. They have this complex. They think they are Great Danes when they're not. They're chihuahuas, right? And no one's scared of a chihuahua. That was me. No one was ever scared of me. I happened to be friendly, but I was, I was a runt, right? But all my life, I had friends that weren't. And I can assure you, when those friends were around, I had confidence that I shouldn't have had, 
I had a strength that I shouldn't have had. I thought I was better than I really was, but it's because my friend over here is the biggest kid in class, and if you mess with me, you're messing with him. But for some reason as Christians, we don't walk that way. Why is that? We don't look at each other as they've got my back. And we definitely don't look at God, the creator of the universe. He's got my back. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to be afraid. I can walk in obedience with him because I know if I'm doing what God has asked me, no matter how hard it gets, and I promise you, it's not going to be easy. God hasn't called us to a life of easy, everything goes right, Midas gold touch. It's not going to be all roses. Jesus modeled that pretty clearly. We're going to face hatred. We're going to face pain. People are going to misunderstand us. They are going to spit and angrily attack us. And for some of us, it might even cost us our lives. But God has promised us over and over in this collection of books is repeated evidence that in the end, God will find a way. That's what this is all about. He will not be shaken. So as believers, are we going to live in the darkness Are we going to be people of light that take risks, that are awake, that make conscious decisions to not become drunk on the things of this world? Or to use uh, Pastor Ellis' analogy from last week, we're going to tame the wild horses of the idols in our lives so that we are ready and prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, friends, that's what our neighbors are desperate for. They don't need the right answers. They don't need you to spout theology to them. They need the love and the mercy and the hope that comes from God alone. And we have that. So as we go from here today, as we, as we move on, um, Paul gives us two really easy ways that we can be prepared each and every day. And he uses this analogy to the, that he ends up coming back to in his letter to the church in Ephesians of the armor of God. And he starts with the breastplate. Um, and he calls, he, he relates the breastplate to faith and love. And he says, every day we should put on faith and love to protect us. A breastplate is a defensive piece of armor that we wear on our chest to guard our hearts. Because our hearts are vulnerable. We can get cut in our arms or legs. We can get shot or stabbed. We can lose limbs and still live. But if someone were to pierce your heart with a sword, 
You're not going to make it. And the truth of the matter is that our hearts can be physically hurt, but they're also viruses of this world like anger. or hate, or selfishness. That when we don't put on the breastplate of faith and love, they can penetrate our hearts, they can sicken us, and they multiply like a virus. Anger breeds more anger, which breeds more anger, which leads to hate, which leads to decisions and actions that had you asked at the beginning, someone would have said, I'm in no way capable of. Slavery was not an instant thing. It's because anger and hate and selfishness reproduced itself over and over again in people's hearts and in the culture in a way They justified it. When we don't protect our hearts, the sickness of this world is going to kill us one way or another. He also talks about the the helmet that we we wear. Helmets protect our head. And he calls this, he, he relates this helmet to the hope of salvation Protecting our head is like protecting our minds. Our minds are very powerful. And just like one thing leads to another and hate grows to really bad decisions, when we don't guard our minds and our hearts every day, we allow false truth, the idols of this world, to grow, to fester, to multiply in our lives in ways that we do things we know we shouldn't. We excuse not doing the things we know we should. And Paul is warning us, friends, you have to be active. You have to be awake. You have to be prepared. Put on your spiritual armor. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Wear the helmet of salvation. Remember what Jesus did for you. Because if you don't, you will forget why we're supposed to be different. And you'll start looking more and more like everyone else and doing things like everyone else because our brains get rewired and we slip back into darkness and slumber. Paul finishes the letter in verses, or this section in verses 9 through 11 and says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live together with him. Therefore, whenever therefore is present in the scriptures, we know it's tacking on to other things. And in this case, he's tacking it on to put on your armor, be prepared. Therefore, also, encourage one another and build each other up. 
just as in fact you are doing. Because let's be honest, a soldier by himself, no matter how much armor he has, can be surrounded and he can be defeated. And there are times where we can be armored up, we can spend the morning in prayer, we can put on faith and hope and love, we can be protected. But because we choose a life of isolation and because we're not living in community, because we're not encouraging each other and walking through this world together, we're like a sheep that is separated and the wolves of this world will tear us apart. So it's not enough for us to do our personal duties of wearing our armor. We also have to look out for each other. And when we do that, friends, miracles happen. The world is changed just like it was with the early believers. They're not that different from us. They just took this seriously. And they fought with all they had to live the lives God asked of them. So I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know where you stand in terms of whether you believe God even exists. I don't know if you've put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you walk in the hope that is salvation. I do. And I hope that if you don't, you have someone that you trust enough that you can ask, or you can come ask me. But this morning as we walk from this room, as we go out of this place, as this sits on us, I hope that we can process what idols we have given ourselves to and how we're letting fear control us. And I hope that together we can make a conscious decision to be different, to wake up, to live in the light and not sleep through our existence. Because this life can be beautiful despite the pain and the heartache God can make all of those things new I want to experience that and I want to experience that with you let's pray